Hello everyone, I am going to share with you today on this podcast an experience, a life-changing moment that happened six years ago to the day. Today I'm recording this podcast on the anniversary of my husband's passing. In 2015, Glenn, my husband, passed away suddenly. I was 30 weeks pregnant with our son. And that is when death changed and shaped my life forever. So, let's start at literal D-Day. Um, I was 30 weeks pregnant and I had just been diagnosed with gestational diabetes. Um, and I was stressed out. I didn't really understand what it was. And the doctor's kind of just like, oh yeah, you know, well, you, your baby could be big. There could be this, it could be that. Basically like all I heard was the complications that could possibly happen being pregnant and having gestational diabetes so I had had that appointment um, booked in for the morning and after that appointment I was trying to get in contact with Glenn and um, it wasn't unusual for him to not respond to my messages straight away because at the time Glenn was actually in Thailand Um, he had left on October 25th with his band and they were at a studio called Karma Studios, um, recording an album. So it wasn't unusual for him to not respond to me straight away because like one time difference and two, they were up late, um, recording most nights. So I'd sent a few messages, um, you know, via Facebook texts, like tried a couple of different options And I still sort of hadn't heard from him. So as the day was going along, I was getting more and more frustrated that I hadn't heard from him. And I messaged the boys in the band and was like, look, can someone please go and wake Glenn up? I need to talk to him. And they were just like, oh, it's all good. You know, we just had a really late night recording. He's just sleeping. Blah, 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 blah. So then that night, I actually recently just had a memory pop up on my Facebook and It was a photo, a selfie with me and my friend, Christina, um, because that night we had a hair, um, a hair night to go to. So it was a hair training night and we took a selfie because I'd just freshly done my hair and looking at the selfie, I was looking fucking fabulous, to be honest. So that was the selfie that I took. Little did I know, a few hours later, I was going to get the hardest phone call I've ever had to have in my whole life. So the day went on, still hadn't heard from Glenn, et cetera, et cetera. I got to about nine o'clock at night and I was just like, look, this isn't fucking okay. I haven't heard from Glenn. Is he even out of bed yet? And I then got a phone call. So I got a phone call from Ravi, who is the band's vocalist. And I don't know how they... (laughs) made the choice on who had to be the one to call me and I will forever love and respect those boys for what they had to experience and what they had to go through um but Ravi called me and he's like um hey Cass 
um, Glenn's dead. And I was like, fuck off, whatever, put him on the phone. I'm like, stop fucking joking. I'm like, this isn't a fucking joke. I really need to talk to my fucking husband. I've had some things come up in the pregnancy. Let me fucking talk to him. And he's like, no, Cass, he's dead. And I all I can remember is saying, you're fucking joking. Stop fucking with me. Um, and then eventually it all sort of clicked. And I was like, oh, shit, no, this is real. Glenn was 26. It was the 9th of November, 2015. We'd just been married for nine months. And I was 30 weeks pregnant with our son. And in just a few moments, that phone call, just a few words, everything was changed forever. Now, obviously, after that, a lot of it is a bit of a blur, but I do recall calling my friend Kim Scrubris. She was a reporter for the Channel 7 News at the time. And I just, I, I don't think she was the first person I called, but she was definitely like one of the top three or four people that I called straight away. And I just said to her, I'm like, what do I do? I'm like, I don't understand. Like, what do I do? Like, is there embassies? Is there police? Like, what's the situation? He was in a different country, a country that doesn't even speak English. You know, like, what the fuck do I do? And I knew that she had the connections. I also knew that she had the skill set <laughs> to be the balance that I needed at the time um, because obviously everyone else that I called was family and, you know, connected and wouldn't be able to think straight at all. But Kim had this ability um, to do what needed to be done. And I'll never be able to thank her enough for the help that she did provide and keep that balance in the crazy of times and one answering my call in the middle of the night. So then I called the family and the family arrived. I remember my sister being dropped off. She is in the Air Force and I remember her arriving in uniform. And that's probably the only thing that I can visualise from that night. The next morning, um, I remember a couple of my girlfriends rocking up at about like six o'clock. And it was just like the loudest silence you've ever experienced. No one knew what to say. No one knew what to do. And then life just had to kind of keep happening. We had to keep going on with the day. We had to get up and keep breathing and eat and figure it all out. Especially with him being overseas. So in the end, his parents and his brother flew to Thailand um, to obviously confirm everything that needed to be confirmed and to make the arrangements for him to... Um, 
to be brought home. Honest to God as well. Travel insurance. Do not ever go anywhere without it. (sighs) And so I feel like it was maybe a week before Glenn was brought back to Australia. And in that time, I really started to have a lot of spiritual awakenings and spiritual experiences and things like that. So we got the notification on the Monday that a Glenn had passed. The Tuesday was kind of the call and tell everyone. And then I remember on the Wednesday, I got a phone call from Glenn's best friend, Cam. And he's like, hey, look, do you know what my mum does? I'm like, yeah, I do. I know that she is like a medium of some sorts and and things like that and he's like well can she contact you and I was like yeah man I'm so open to all of that stuff and so she did she contacted me and she shared with me some information that has changed the way that I look at death the way that I look at life and really, really awakened me and my beliefs and my understandings. And she shared information about soul contracts. And to be honest, I think that's probably a whole other podcast. (laughs) But it helped me come to the space of acceptance at the fact that his time was up. And he had no further options to continue to be in this physical plane. And she had shared with me some things that I had experienced just within those few days. So I just began having conversations with Glenn. Every day, I'd actually just go into my room and I would just talk to him as if I was having a phone conversation with him. And at the time, I did get responses. Other times, I just got feelings. Um, And then Marina, my friend Cam's mum, did this reading for me. And this reading had a lot of answers in it. And so one of the biggest things that I recall from this reading and from my first experiences during that first few days, I kept saying to Glenn, I'm like, what do I do? Where do we live? Before Glenn had left, he'd just put together the cot and we'd started setting up the baby room and we had our dogs and we had our home together. And I remember saying, where do we live? What do we do? Should I stay here? Do I go live somewhere else? Do I get a different rental? What do I do? What do I do? And so when I had this reading come through from Marina, who I've not spoken to, in an extremely long time, part of the response and part of the reading was, you need to live where there is land, horses and lots of dogs. I see you moving and relocating and there's a new baby room and there's lots of horses and lots of dogs. So that was a confirmation to my question. Where do we live? And I moved back to my parents' house where they have horses, and when I first moved back here, we had seven dogs. (laughs) 
So it was in those moments where those messages and those and that information and and all of that stuff just started to line up that I was just like, okay, this is where it's at for me. This is the spiritual connection that I never knew I really truly had. Um, I never really understood. And this is how I'm going to be able to communicate with my husband. And then that has then now developed into a profession. If you've been following me for quite some time, I now um, am a holistic wellness expert. I work with crystals, card readings, all of that kind of stuff. But anyways, that's not what we're talking about today. (laughs) Um, But that is where it all began. That is where death gave me life. And so after these experiences and conversations that I had with him on the daily, more answers were showing and more things were presenting themselves. Um, And I was researching other things. I had a friend at the time who um, is a Buddhist. And so she apologized and said that she couldn't come to the funeral because of her spiritual beliefs. Um, Another message that I got via Marina was when he passed, he had assistants crossing over and the spiritual process was um, quite easy or the crossing over process was quite easy. I then found out that the venue where he had passed in Thailand, the women that had been looking after the boys for the few weeks that they were there, you know, the house mums, I called them, um, uh, essentially once they found out what had happened, they began to do their rituals and their prayers and their processes that they do for when someone passes. Um, you know, and if you've ever been to any of the, you know, like Thailand, Bali, all of those places, you know that pretty much every home has a little shrine, altar, um, thing, I don't know what they're particularly called, but, you know, where they make their offerings and they do their daily prayers and things like that. Um, And so his soul was helped to cross over um, by that experience. So for me, that was very powerful. Um, And then I began to discover and understand a little bit more about how our soul works and I really just was like, I only heard it a couple of times from a few people and I was like, yep, that makes sense. Yep, I believe that. I didn't have to be, you know, coerced or I didn't need much information or evidence as to what it was. I just knew deep down inside that that was correct and that's exactly how life is and exactly how our souls work. And so um, one thing I remember, I had this conversation with my friend Ava And it was leading up to the moments before I went to the funeral home to see his body. And I'd had this conversation. She's apologising because she couldn't come to the funeral because it was against essentially her religion. Um, And she's like, with us, we believe that the moment the person dies, the soul leaves the vessel. So therefore, we will do essentially like... I guess, a funeral or a ritual or a process for the soul immediately. Um, And then the vessel is simply just that, a vessel. So the funeral has sort of no relevance. I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. 
And then I had the conflicting feelings and thoughts as to whether I was or wasn't going to go and see the, the body. And part of me was like, I have to. I need to confirm that it is him and he's not, like, hiding away in some, you know, cave in Thailand. <laughs> um so I need to confirm and I need to confirm as well. And my mother-in-law um, encouraged it. She was just like, yep, because they obviously got to see Glenn when they went to Thailand. They got to see the body in that moment. So she's like, definitely come, go and experience it. And I had things that I wanted to put in the grave with him as well. I had his jewellery. I had some photos and some things like that. And so I went in. And what I saw on that table was not my husband. Yes, physically, flesh and bone, it was. But it was, there was nothing there. It was soulless. And I lost it, convulsing, crying. I walked in and I just walked straight back out. Um, and then my mother-in-law had not seen him since he arrived back in the country as well. And they were encouraging me to go back in and to give him the jewelry and to give him the photos and to do that process. And I'm just like, that's not my husband. That is not my husband. I'm not giving him these things. That is not my husband. That's not my husband. That's not my husband. That's all I keep remembering saying. In the end, I went and I placed the photos on his chest and, and I walked out. And to be honest, I truly feel that I did that more for my parents, my in-laws and my parents than I actually did do it for myself. But that's part of the process in these situations. Sometimes there are things that you do for others that just help. And so I didn't leave the jewellery with the body that is still with me to this day and I'm so glad that I didn't bury it with him because it's now something I can gift to our son. My mother-in-law did then go and also view the body after me and she did contact me later and said, I now understand why you reacted the way that you reacted. Um, so much love to that woman or to that family very grateful those in-laws my in-laws are still a massive part of my life and so that was that was that he was gone he was really gone and then the funeral oh actually this is the age-old question how did he pass we actually have no idea all we got back on the coroner's reports was respiratory and heart failure so basically all it said was he stopped breathing and his heart stopped it's like no shit he's dead obviously that happened so we really didn't get any underlying information as to how he passed um the information that I got spiritually was simply that his soul contract was up and he had no choice it was time to go and that's what I take comfort in no matter what way he he was he had gone, it was his time. You can't change it. I'm glad that it was in his sleep. 
and I hope and believe that it was rather painless. So then the funeral, again, that was a blur, an absolute blur. Key things I remember is my sister and her partner were both there in their uniforms. I don't know why that stands out so much to me. Um, But I do remember saying to Tori Lee, my sister, that Glenn was really proud of her for what she'd done and achieved in the Air Force Um, and thought it was pretty cool because she was really the first in our current generation to um, be in the defence. And so they wore their uniform. Um, I remember my mum made a floral arrangement in the shape of a guitar. I remember hundreds of people being there and everyone wanting to hug me. And I was just like, it was in November, it was fucking hot. I don't want to fucking hug everyone. I didn't want to. But I did. Because in that moment, unfortunately, it wasn't just about me. And I remember texting Kim. <laughs> I remember texting Kim after the funeral and I said to her, I'm like, honestly, people need to fucking wear deodorant. <laughs> all I remember (laughs) is people need to wear deodorant and then as we went to the cemetery my brother had stopped and bought McDonald's bought Glenn's favorite Macca's meal Um, and that went in the in the grave with Glenn and just other little moments and things like that that popped up Um, I remember the drummer from Glenn's band said um, said to me when I got there, he looked at me and it didn't look like he was looking through his own eyes. He looked different. And he just says, hey, beautiful, how you going? It's going to be okay. I was like, they're not words that would probably usually come out of Christian's mouth. And... Especially for him to say, hey, beautiful, which was something that Glenn said to me a lot. I don't even know if Christian even remembers. I've never mentioned this to him. But in that moment, I actually knew that was my husband talking through his friend. And then that was that. You watch the casket being lowered into the hole and again... The silence is so deafening. I remember his brother had chosen a song and it kept skipping and wasn't playing properly and everyone was getting frustrated and then I was just like, yeah, who cares? We don't need a fucking song. <laughs> it is what it is. And then everyone came back to our house. And they started drinking. I was extremely jealous of their drinking because I was, again, 30 weeks pregnant. (laughs) And everyone just shared stories. The boys from the band had put together a video and we played that on a TV screen and that was just on repeat for the whole afternoon. 
And it was that real celebration of life, of sharing stories, of having shots and drinking scotch and celebrating the man, the husband, the father, the son, the friend, the guitarist, all of those things, the brother, all of the things that Glenn was. And then that was kind of that, you know. Everyone's life sort of goes back to what they know when I'm then left to figure out what the fuck my life's going to actually look like. I then moved. I continued to try and remain healthy and grow this baby inside me. I thought I began the grieving process in many ways. But this year, six years later, or five to six years later, had other, <laughs> had other stories for me. Um, and yeah, life each day kept rolling on. And each day with it brought new challenges new feelings, new thoughts, new emotions, new awarenesses, new awakenings, new pains, new joys. And still, to this day, six years later, I still go through those ebbs and flows, those highs and lows, those joys and sadnesses. Grief isn't something that you get over. Grief is something that you learn to live with. It becomes a part of your life. It becomes a part of you, of your experiences, and how you shape the rest of your life. I know I'm not the only one that's lost someone. I know I'm not the only widow whose child has never met one of their parents. I'm no, I'm not the only solo parent. But everybody's experience is completely different. And even the ones who look the most strongest still have the hardest and saddest and darkest of days. And there's no right or wrong way that you can or can't help with somebody suffering from grief. There's no right or wrong way how you manage or don't manage your grief. You just have to allow yourself to experience it how you're meant to experience it. And I now know six years later that I coped with it by keeping busy. And in the end, that didn't allow me to fully feel it to the extent that I needed to feel it. But that's okay. I'm now feeling it and processing it. 
You cannot put a time frame on it. You cannot write a to-do list on how and when you're going to manage it. You have to let the process flow. You have to ask for help and be honest. When you're in the thick of it, which is sometimes the hardest time to ask for help. You have to take a moment and ask for help. I think there'll be another podcast that will come along that will be all totally grief-related, as that is what I want to help people do and process. But for today, a day... That death actually gave me life. I reflect on my husband like I do every fucking day. And I miss him with every ounce of my being. I am glad that I can share this story with you guys and I'm grateful for you listening because there might be some words or something or a feeling or a thought that has come up for you while listening that might just help you or it might just help a friend like I said my spirituality is something that saved me Being pregnant is also something that saved me. And I'm going to share a lot more with you on how I now look at life and death. I'm going to share more with you on now how I look and manage and live with grief. And that's all to come in future podcasts. But for today... Hold your loved ones tighter. Love yourself just that little bit more. And even if you had a bad day, put your hand on your heart and feel that heartbeat. And remember that you are here for a reason. You have purpose. And find something simple to be grateful for. Whether it be grateful for the fact that you have a phone and internet and you can be here listening to this podcast. Whether it's the fact that you have clean undies or fresh bed sheets. Whether you're grateful for the fact that you had to write something down today and you had a pen that worked. All of those simple Little things that contribute to your day-to-day life are important. Notice them. Notice them now, for you never know when the clock of life may soon be still. Thank you so much. 
I will see you guys in the next episode.